All right, guys. Uh, hello, and thank you for joining us. My name is Ryan McArdle, and I'm a partner at the Palomar Group, a full-service investment sales firm based in Augusta, Georgia. And I'll be hosting the call today, along with my partners, Steve Collins and David Rivers. Uh, to kick off the new year, we wanted to host a follow-up call to our market update call that we had in early March of last year, when the effects of the pandemic were initially taking hold on our industry. Um, we wanted to get a temperature check straight from the source on how the industry has been able to adjust over the past eight, nine months and what industry experts think uh, that the year ahead will look like. Uh, today on the call, we're happy to have some uh, industry veterans uh, from some of the country's largest and most active real estate firms, including Dave Wick from Phillips Edison and Company, Mark Horgan from Bricksmore, Ryan Cockerell from uh, Agree Realty, Jim Haleywell from Principal Financial and Michael Deering from Hutton. Gentlemen, uh, thank you all for agreeing to be a part of our, our call today. Uh, let me start by giving our best wishes to those on the call for a happy and healthy new year. Uh, we're hopeful that you and your loved ones have remained healthy over the course of the past year and that your companies have found creative ways to continue moving forward in the face of these unprecedented times. The Palomar Group continues to be open for business and is committed to helping our clients in any way we can. While this year presented the obvious challenges, uh, the Palomar Group was fortunate uh, through a ton of hard work by our team to finish the year strong with a record number of transactions. And we are encouraged with what the market holds looking into the first part of 2021. Um, with all that said, uh, we'll jump right into it. Um, the first thing that uh, we wanted to get into was to see if we could get a little recap since we last spoke in March of the last year and see how your respective companies um, have been able to achieve results, find success um, through the unprecedented times that we've been through. Um, at Palomar, uh, when March hit, we saw a number of deals fall out of contract with a huge amount of uncertainty as to when they would come back. Uh, when August hit, uh, we saw buyers and sellers coming back to the table and a significant uptick in the transactions that were able to get done to finish out the year. Uh, I'll open things up with uh, Dave Wick of Phillips Edison. Um, Dave, uh, how did the third and fourth quarters play out at Phillips Edison? Well, first of all, Happy New Year to, to you guys and thanks for including me in this. I think when you said veterans and experts, I assumed that I was one of the veterans and not one of the experts, but either way, I'm, I'm uh, proud to be a part of this, uh, this call. Um, and to me, it seems like it's certainly been a lot longer than eight months since we last did this. feels more like two years. Um, but, you know, I think we talked a little bit about um, back in March that we, our transaction team, we, we really stepped into into asset management mode. And I think our whole company really stepped into damage control mode, thinking that things were about to get really, really ugly. And as you guys know, our portfolio is mostly grocery anchored, mostly suburban. And as it turns out, it didn't really get all that ugly. I mean, those, those, those assets held up pretty well. So uh, while we were pretty focused on our team, our transaction team was pretty focused on, on you know, handling rent deferrals for national tenants for the first couple months of the pandemic, um, really the second half of the year, 
we were looking for opportunity, probably like like everybody else on this call. You know, whenever there's disruption, there is ultimately opportunity. And we've been in you know ten years of record economic expansion, and just started looking for for opportunities. And and so from a transaction standpoint, we we closed on a couple acquisitions in the second half of the year, a couple grocery anchored assets, and we actually ended up selling about a dozen deals uh, last year. And you know, I think you guys obviously were a part, a couple of those. And, you know, we're just, just being opportunistic on the buy side and on the sell side and felt like, you know, transactions started to started to happen again in the second half of the year. Not not easy. It wasn't easy to get in to the finish line, but um, we were able to get some done. Great. Thanks, Dave. Um, Mark, I'll, I'll throw things to you. How uh, how things end up at Bricksmore over the last couple quarters? Yeah, and also um, say Happy New Year and thanks for having me. Um, you know, I think I would echo what what uh, what David just said. We we had you know when we start we got to March it was it felt like you were staring into to the abyss and we really did focus a lot of the company on what we thought was going to be a really tough time and we did spend a lot of time negotiating some rent deferrals with national tenants and you know working with a small shop for for PPP loans and things like that. But ultimately. You know, we've gotten rent collections back up towards the top of the REIT um, group, which we're pleased with. And I, I do think it's part of it's the, the platform we have. Part of it's the asset type that we're invested in. Just like just like Philip says, we have a lot of suburban assets, a lot of grocery anchor deals, and those assets have generally performed well through the pandemic. Um, from a transactions perspective, we um, when we started the year, we actually had a pretty pretty fulsome pipeline of acquisitions that were, that were basically match fund, funded with dispositions. And we feel pretty good about not getting stuck on any acquisitions because we do feel like as we've gotten towards the end of the year, we're seeing just better opportunities to put money to work. We're also an opportunistic investor on the acquisition side. And we're seeing deals come back to us that we looked at a year ago at 15, 20% cheaper than, than they were a year or so ago that, that, made a lot, that are starting to make a lot more sense from a basis perspective as we're looking at putting money to work. I mean, our biggest fear as you look at the market today is is really just trying to figure out that health of the small shop and, and that's really where the tug and pull is as we're looking at acquisitions. From a disposition side, you know, we, we did sell some small grocery anchor deals, but the one part of the market um, that we saw to be very active was the net lease space. And so we've been looking at some of the non-core assets and selling some ground leases and some of our non-core assets at pricing that's well inside of where we're getting indications from brokers on where the assets are worse. So we've been spending time setting up that program to just monetize non-core assets by cutting them up and getting cap rates that are, you know, three, four or 500 basis points inside of our broker to tell us we could sell the full center. So kind of an interesting trend for our company as we've looked at how to fund our business going into 2021. Thanks, Mark. Um, Ryan, on the uh, single tenant side, uh, how the last, uh, how the second half of the last year finished up for you guys? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was looking back at some of my uh, my notes. I jotted down. I think I, I described the environment as growth to uh, preservation <laughs> overnight. Um, you know, I think everybody was making their calculations on how the remainder of the year was going to uh, pencil out as far as where rent was coming from, how to fund deals, etc. Um, I think we, um, you know, fortunately had pretty solid collections. You know, as of late, we've been I think at 99% the last four months. Um, and we, we actually released some data on our 2020 activity, so I can speak to that um, high level. But um, we, we actually had a record Q2. I think it was around 
270 million or so, um, and then top that off with a 450 plus million dollar quarter in Q3, and another strong quarter in Q4. So at the time, I think when we connected March, we maybe had uh, 200 million out the door, um, and, and at the end of the year, we ended with just over 1.3 billion. So, you know, like I said, fortunately, we were in a position where we had the ability to raise uh, capital, uh, both on the equity and debt side. Um, and and saw, I would say, uh, uh, an opportunity definitely in the end of Q2 and into Q3 where there maybe wasn't as much institutional players in, in the game. Uh, I think we took advantage of that opportunity. But ultimately, I think the uncertainty led to a lot of sellers. Again, we're doing doing deals with you know some of the largest owners out there, but also a lot of one-off uh, single-tenant net lease deals where um, – you know, the certainty of execution on an all-cash deal was, was valuable to them, and we, um, you know, we took advantage of that, that landscape. Yeah, yeah, well, that's great. That's great. Thanks, Ryan. Um, Jim, you know, Ryan, Ryan mentioned, uh, you know, in, in his world, a lot of the institutional players uh, not really being active the second half of last year. Uh, what, what did you guys see on y'all's end, um, you know, come August through the end of the year? Did y'all, you all stay on the sidelines, or were you all active at all? Yeah, I, I would say, Ryan, in uh, the fund world, uh, which, which you know, our largest vehicles are, are open-ended um, funds, uh, the institutional investor demand is, is pretty tepid. Um, and, and I'll just give you some general parameters. Um, uh, our open-ended fund, the open-ended fund index is something called Odyssey, the open-ended uh, core diversified index. And there's 24 plus or minus 24 members in that. And, and let's say the retail percentage is in the high teens, maybe 17, 18. Uh, we fared well because we're more in the 14, 15% range and have no mall exposure. Now, the Odyssey has a lot of mall exposure with a lot of the participants. So we've been on the winning side. Um, I don't know where retail will go in the institutional uh, fund world, but a lot of predictions are most participants probably want to manage that down to the 10 to 12% range. So if the whole index is, you know, in the upper teens, I, I think it's going to be pretty dormant until that shrinks into the um, 10, 12% range. And so, we would look at a retail transaction in a very granular way. Um, let's say an $11 billion fund, which is our gross value of our large fund. I mean, if we bought a $40 million deal, it really wouldn't move the needle much on our retail. Um, but I would say we're, we're, we're probably similar to most, which is more in a reduction mode and a very opportunistic mode. And I think most, um, and this is in the fund world, I think most of them will be in a net shrink mode until that gets to about the 10 to 12% range. And I'd be interested if, if that's what others are hearing um, from participants like myself. Um, yeah, no, I appreciate that, Jim. Uh, we'll open that up as well. Mike, let Let's uh, lastly, let's get a quick, a quick uh, some quick feedback from you. Um, you know, obviously on, on this call, you come from a little bit different world right now at Hutton. 
being a, an owner and developer, um, you know, where you're buying and selling deals, but also building ground up deals a lot. Uh, how did the second half of last year end up treating you all at Hutton? Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Um, thanks very much for having me and happy new to everybody. Um, the second half of the year, I guess I can cover it from both angles. On, on the transaction side, you know, half of our asset base is comprised of single tenant net lease space. And, and so that that held up really well. And we we're really um, pleased with the, the activity we had. We were obviously pleased with some of the pricing we got as well. There seemed to be pent up demand for that type of asset class. And then, you know, on the, on the other side, we kind of slowed things down as it relates to the multi-tenant and shopping center assets that we have, which is the other 50% of the value that we, that we have. So all in all, we, we, we fared pretty well, um, definitely shifted our, our plans with respect to our, to our shopping center sales into this year. And we're, we're kind of waiting to see how the, the year starts off. Um, but all in all, pretty, pretty well there. And then on the development side, um, I would say it, it was more of the same where we, we had a pretty healthy pipeline come into the year. And, and when March hit, like a lot of groups, we, we didn't know what was going to happen. We kind of expected things to get pretty bad. And while it wasn't fun, um, most of our pipeline held up really well on the development side. So we, we came in with about a $200 million pipeline and 70% of that went along as scheduled. And there were some delays here and there, but for the most part, those, those projects are on, on schedule. The 30% that didn't just got deferred in, in, into this year. So all in all, from a from a total development pipeline perspective, we were pretty much right where we wanted to be and, and, and feel pretty good about it considering the year we had. And so entering this year, you know, it, it's obviously a, a, a new year and we've got another rather robust pipeline, but but so far and, and kind of the velocity we have, we're seeing that continue so far. So fingers crossed that that's been a good sign for us so far. Good deal, good deal. And, and Jim, back to you. I, I know that uh, you kind of left left it open that you had a question kind of you wanted to get some feedback from guys what, what was that again just if if they're hearing from fund investors like ourselves if there's um you know a very uh, diminished demand based on where they kind of want their portfolio to settle out from a retail uh, allocation and you brian you you may you may have insight on that as well yeah and go ahead guys if you got any uh, commentary there yeah, I, I think there's really no question about that. We're, we're seeing deals that some of the funds bought in the last two to three years to come back to market. We're seeing deals where funds have debt on them and they may need to recap and put more dollars in and they don't want to. So they're, we're seeing a fair amount from almost all of the major you know, names that you could think of that are in the space. It's, what's interesting from our perspective is, you know, and I, I used to spend a lot of time in my career in the mall space. A lot of those guys who went along the malls are almost being forced to sell some of the open air assets because they're liquid and they really can't transact on the mall side. So that's really bringing, I think, some, some interesting assets to the market right now out of, out of those, um, out of the funds. Gotcha. Gotcha. Appreciate that, Mark. Uh, well, appreciate that, guys. Thanks for the re quick recap. Um, I'll, I'll throw things over to uh, my partner, David, um, as I'll throw a couple questions your way. And uh, I know we had everybody kind of go down the line and, and give a quick recap of, of the second half of last year. Um, but if you've got anything to add uh, going forward, as, as we kind of ask some open-ended questions, feel free to chime in uh, at your at your leisure. This is uh, <clears throat> this is David Ryan Cockerell. Um, you guys are looking at uh, single tenant concepts, different retailers. There's been a lot of dialogue about um, which which retailers are doing well, uh, which ones um, are, are having more issues. What concepts out there today are you guys 
really excited about and which ones are you guys uh, growing a little more cautious of? Sure. Yeah. Great question, David. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty visible from the, you know, the companies who are reporting earnings and, and doing well, it's reflecting their stock price. You know, the general merchandise retailers, the bigger boxes, the target, the Walmarts of the world, you know, obviously groceries been a, a, a strong suit during the pandemic home improvement, pharmacy dollar, dollar stores, you know, in the net lease retail world, I think those were clear leaders throughout the pandemic. And we did double down uh, on those tenants um, over the last three quarters, you know, the, the spaces that we saw the largest headwinds were, you know, fitness, entertainment, restaurants, specifically casual dining. You know, the last stat I heard, um, you know, in the restaurant casual dining world was, was 100,000 restaurants have closed, you know, since the pandemic kind of took hold earlier this year. Um, so, you know, we, we uh, concepts within those respective sectors on, on both sides, we've, we've kind of gravitated to or doubled down on and then you know, we've never really been big in, you know, those those fitness, entertainment and restaurant uh, concepts. Um, so if anything, we continue to stay away from those. And I would add, you know, there's a lot of in our world, there's a lot of net lease um, retailers out there that are private equity sponsored or have, you know, pretty, and I'd say pretty levered balance sheets in our conservative criteria of what we'd like to have. And, you know, if, if there were any of those that were on the fence, you know, or maybe it was great real estate and a great performer, but the credit, you know, was questionable, you know, those were redlined, um, you know, and we just, we just didn't even think about going into, you know, any of the inferior credits that we see out there in the last three quarters. Good. Great. Uh, next question, David Wick, moving into 2021. And um, ideally, more opportunities. Where are you guys? Where do you see those opportunities coming from? And what are you all getting excited about for for this year on that front? Yeah, I mean, the the couple deals that we ended up buying last year were grocery anchor deals in markets where we've got significant presence already, um, like Atlanta and Denver. Um, and we're able to just buy them at what were, you know, five to 10% discounts relative to what they were, what they would have been in, in February. So, I mean, I think as you guys are fully aware, being in the business that you're in, the transaction volume is, is definitely down. Um, and so it seems like people that are transacting, especially on the sell side, are people that have some sort of motivation to transact. So, um, that's been that's been our our primary focus is try to find people that that or groups that have to transact for one reason or another, and because those are the market sellers. Otherwise, we're seeing a pretty big disconnect. And again, this is only in the grocery anchored space, not in the mall space or the power center space. A pretty big disconnect between um, bid bid and ask right now. And you know, everybody that's buying it is looking for a deal, and everybody that's selling it is thinking that it's still still the, the, you know, the top, the top um, quality asset. So uh, yeah, for us, it's, it's that figuring out why somebody needs to sell. And, and really for us, it's also continuing to buy assets that are accretive to our existing portfolio in markets that we already own in and at better returns and with better demographics, better sales, better term than, you know, than the existing portfolio. So um, pretty, a pretty wide net, I think, but, you know, I think those opportunities will be out there this year. It, it, Dave, and follow up to that, um, 
you know, I'd be curious your thoughts and, and Mark's thoughts, especially, uh, you know, being in the in grocery anchored uh, asset class for the large part. You know, we, we always tell people why we believe one of the reasons we believe our transaction volume was up in the, in the last two quarters was that, you know, most of our deals get done in the southeast. And, you know, the centers we were selling in the southeast, by and large, were open for business. Um, even if th that was in a reduced capacity, you know, the restaurants were open and doing business. The, you know, the, the hair salons and things were open, even if at 50% at capacity or something. Whereas, uh, you know, I don't feel that obviously that was, wasn't the case in some places in the Northeast or out West. Do you think that uh, that pricing disconnect was greater in those areas where tenants weren't open for business? Or do you think it was pretty, pretty uh, stabilized throughout the country in terms of that, that spread? Well, I think I think you're, you're dead on, and you know, Mark, I'm sure you can speak to this as well. Um, yeah, because deals just weren't really getting done in those markets as a as a result of that. I mean, I think there was just a general a general fear from a seller standpoint that you would you know you'd be selling at the you'd be selling at a discount and not, and not getting the right value for the deal. Because and then as a buyer, you'd, you'd be fearful that you're paying too much for it because who knows what the rent roll is going to look like if things don't start to open up. And that, so I think. You're right. In the South, um, there was a little bit more continuity and stability there. So you kind of had a better idea of, of what the rent roll and the, you know, the income stream was going to look like that you're buying. Uh, but I also think from your guys' standpoint and, you know, a lot of the deals in the South, just, there were just more private buyers. And, you know, private buyers were certainly have certainly been more active in the last eight to nine months than, than institutional or quasi-institutional or fund buyers like Jim was talking about. So I think that play that plays a, a big factor in it as well. If you're not talking about institutional quality assets and you're, you're talking about private deals, um, there's certainly, certainly a lot more liquidity and, and transaction volume. There. Yeah, I would, I would, it's Mark, I would hundred percent agree. I and mean, the only thing I would add is, we wanted to invest in high growth markets pre-pandemic. We want to invest in high growth markets post-pandemic. And there's lots of inbound migration into, into Florida, into Georgia, into Texas. So that's, you know, that's part of it. Part of it's money chasing, the, the, the chasing demos. I also agree with, with, with Dave. Well, hardly when we look at some deals in the North, some of the sellers are like, well, I thought this was worth a four and a half cap. And we're like, well, it might've been, but your rent roll doesn't look like that anymore. It's not as strong as it used to be. So there has, there's still a, in some of these markets are really big, bid ass spread um both from a cap rate and from what you're underwriting and it's definitely easier on the tenants open right you can interview them you can understand what their business is doing when the tenants closed you know as, as a buyer you're kind of saying to yourself why should i take on that problem and pay you for it um so that you know i, I do think you'll you'll see it geographically um work its way through and i do think the north we in our portfolio we, we we saw the northeast close the fastest we saw it open up the slowest and I think that'll probably be reflective of what you see in the transactions market. And this, this is Steve. Mark, let me um, kind of follow up on what you just said, that, that shift in, in demographics with po population shifting from the Northeast down to the Southeast and, and even in the Southwest. Do you think that's a trend that's going to continue for the foreseeable future? Or do you think that levels back out and people start returning to these, you know, to, you know, to the major markets up North? No, I, I, I absolutely believe it's, it's a long-term trend. You'll see better growth in those markets you mentioned than you will in, in the markets uh, in some of the other markets or the other high tax markets. I don't think that means they're, they're, they're not investable. There are certainly great assets in all of these markets. I just think that demographic trend is going to continue. 
And Mike, Mike Deering, let me ask you. Uh, let me ask you. I know along, along those lines. I, I know y'all's uh, y'all are in in numerous regions with your development pipeline. Um, going going forward in 2021, has, has, and, and even into 2022, has your development pipeline shifted from what you anticipated it being? You know, back you know, say at the beginning of 2020, are y'all now focusing? I know y'all already focus on the southeast, but has that focus even become more? Um, and, and shifted more to that region, or are y'all still going to be pretty active in, in uh, you know, in numerous states? Uh, yeah, we'll still be active in, in numerous states. We, we were always a little more heavily concentrated in the southeast, so that that breakdown probably won't change all that much. Where we are shifting a little bit more is kind of diversifying into other asset classes like self-storage and multifamily. So we we're already, you know, in the process of doing that over the last year or two, and just this past year, we still are always going to be primarily retail focused, but just kind of a little bit more waiting placed on those other asset classes too. So, uh, and, and most of those opportunities are in the Southeast as well. Yeah. And, um, sounds good. And Jim, let me, let me ask you this. What, um, you know, going forward, I know y'all, y'all have several office, you know, numerous office assets and a lot of, a lot of still a lot of uncertainty around those, but go, going forward, um, I know things are things are still pretty rough right now with the number of uh, number of cases, COVID cases, and hospitalizations, and the the strain on the healthcare industry. But as as we progress through this year, when do you what do you see the rest of this year looking like? And do do you think it's going to be better? Um, you know, going to continue to get better as we as we progress through this year. Yeah, that's a good question. Um... We have not finalized our view on, you know, the office uh, of, the, of the future um, and work from home. We, we, we certainly believe uh, an element of that is, is, is here to stay, particularly in, in, in big companies. Now, we, we haven't done all the debits and credits related to lesser density and things of, of, of that sort. So uh it, it's a tough call we're similar to other participants on the phone where we see it fragmented on you know the suburban uh multifamily assets are just doing so much better than the urban multifamily assets we think that trend is going to continue and to some degree that that's happening in the office so our view is it, it is more the bifurcation between the winners and the losers over the near term uh, is going to be pretty wide. And so in both product type, in both location, in both urban versus suburban, and, you know, we're similar to the other panelists. Um, we're, we're getting into more niche sectors, uh, data centers, manufactured housing. Uh, we've been in student housing and that, that there's just going to be more of that and less of the traditional uh, sectors. So I'm not, I don't have a great answer for what, what happens with office, particularly urban office, um, because there's so many unknowns. Um, and then the other thing just, and this may or may not be interesting to people on the calls, but, but along with urban office, you know, the tangential business of first floor retail typically sit-down restaurants, which are getting crushed, um, parking income, which could be as high as $5 a foot. Um, so, you know, those office, those, those sectors are getting hit on a lot of different angles. Uh, so it's a little too early to tell 
listen, as we own someone, many, we hope that it's temporary. We, we hope that, you know, the trend to collaboration um, and, and the desire to be with your co- co-workers um, gets reinstated uh, in, in a similar fashion, but it, it really, really is too early to tell and, and make any concrete predictions. But in the near term, we're just kind of going to do our investments into the more demographically and, and driven sectors and areas where we think there's better landlord pricing power. Great. Good feedback. <clears throat> Go who's in general. Uh, we've had, we've had everybody on the phone uh, for a fair amount of time here. We, we thank you all for your time just to open it up to the group um, on the acquisition front. Uh, what are you guys, uh, what are you guys looking for? What do you, what do you believe you'll be uh, target acquisitions this year? Um, are you going to be a, 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 a net buyer, net seller in general? How do you just feel that that overall, the overall market will be for you and your group? Ryan Cockrell, we already know you're probably going to spend another $1.5 billion. <laughs> so congratulations. Um, but just open it up to the, to the group before we close it out. I'm happy to to jump in. Um, You know, we feel, you know, lucky that we did our big sales program a couple of years ago at this point. So we don't, we don't have any real need to sell. And we expect that it's going to be pretty balanced um, from a buying and selling perspective. Um, We are out there looking for acquisitions and, you know, when we find them, we'll, we'll be selling assets to to fund them. So it's really a a bit of a chicken and the egg question when the market feels better and people start, um, start more more transacting and accepting where we're where we see value will um the acquisition volume will ramp up and one of the benefits that we think we'll have this year is the the confluence of you know less aggressive lending some of the lenders wanting to get out of debt some of the uh the folks that jim had mentioned looking to to limit their exposure and we think given the fact we don't use debt to buy that should give us a leg up sooner or later during the year because you know the, the certainty of dealing with an all cash buyer who's got you know a billion plus of liquidity sitting ready, ready to go. We're excited about, but we also want to be opportunistic. Like David said, we think we're going to be seeing 10, 15% deals, cheaper deals than we did, you know, a year or two years, years ago. So, um, you know, we'll be patient until we find those uh, deals that will make us some money. For sure. I think there is huge value in the, in the surety of closing as David had alluded to uh, the private buyers have been active, but that comes with a whole nother bag of, of challenges on getting them to the finish line. David Wick, uh, Phillips Edison, what are your all's kind of target marching orders on the acquisition front this year? Yeah, I think I think similar to Mark. I mean, you know, we want to be opportunistic not only on the buy side, but also on the sell side. I think we'll be, I think, we'll, I would imagine we'll be pretty close to, to match funding. And I think we'd like to sell as many deals as we can that, aren't at that 10 to 15% discount and buy as many as we can that are at that 10 to 15% discount. So like last year, we had a couple of 1031 buyers come to us and tell us that they want to buy specific assets of ours that we didn't necessarily want to sell, but the pricing was so good that, um, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't pass it up. So, you know, I think the, the, the hope is that there'll be some of that again this year. And, um, you know, in general, I think, 
my hope is that we are more active on the transaction front than we were in 2020. And I, and I think we will. Okay. And uh, Ryan, um, as, as Mark has touched on, they have spun off a lot of uh, their, their single tenant deals as well as Mike Deering over at Hutton. Um, they've obviously had, have, have had a lot of success with that program this year. Are you all finding it tougher with a flight to single tenant and the quality of single tenant and the surety of single tenant to meet your target uh, price point and yield? Um, how do you solve for kind of where you all need to be in the market with increasing competition in the single tenant market? Yeah, you make a great point, David, that, that we've seen, you know, in the, in the tenants we're looking at, the Walmart the targets, the, the Home Depots, the Lowe's, all the way down onto the auto zones, O'Reilly's. And then, you know, we do a lot of stuff in sectors I didn't mention, but, you know, C-Store that we're, you know, strong long-term auto parts and auto service, you know, all the net lease demand on the retail side has gone to those sectors and those tenants with, with term and credit. Um, so it is more competitive. Um, I think as we, we hinted on earlier, you know, the, the track record certainty of execution is still valuable out there. You know, I, we get calls daily of 1031 buyers that are blowing out of deals, you know, in the 11th hour and, hey, are you guys still interested? Um, you know, we offer that certainty of execution. And for, for everybody's match funding needs, I can I can lock something up for the next 60 days and pull the trigger and send out that wire whenever you're, you're, you need it on, on, the, on the other deal. Um, but, no, they're – you know, on 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 um, you know, as far as what we're going to be seeing this year, you know, that there's going to be 1031 demand. What I I feel is going to happen across the net lease retail sector as the lending comes back from some of these ancillary sectors. I mean, I think the pandemic is, is, is we kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. I think we have the tools that we need to put it in the rearview mirror. It's a matter of how much time does that take. Right. You know, uh, until people are vaccinated and, and all these retailers are open and operating, not at limited capacity, but that are profitable. And I think once we have that clarity, you're going to see that concentrated demand in the net lease sector start to level out across more of these tenants, more of these sectors that might might mute the competition in the essential or necessity based retailers, at least I hope. All, all that being said, um, you know, we were able, I think it was an unknown in March of how much volume we could, you know, put out there in quality assets. We, we found them. I think we're, we're bullish and think we can, you know, there'll, there'll be the opportunity to do it again in 2021. Thanks, Ryan. And Mike, what about you guys at Hutton? What's, uh, what do you got, you guys got planned? What does the horizon look like for you for the coming year? Well, we're starting the year, you know, from a cash needs perspective, we're, we're actually in pretty good shape. So there's no urgency or need for us to be selling right away. But we are going to be looking for opportunities because there is some demand still, on, especially on the single tenant side. And then as it relates to the shopping centers, I mean, we still absolutely want to own shopping centers, but we're really focused on trying to make that more grocery anchored specifically. So uh, we've got some developments in the works there and, th and that'll continue. But then anything that's not grocery will be you know, strategically looking to sell throughout the year as, as we move forward. And then, you know, on the on the acquisition front, we're kind of like everybody else on the call, we're going to be looking for opportunities as well. I think where we're focused on is trying to find assets that are, you know, 100% retail now that, that maybe don't need to be 100% retail going forward to kind of leverage some of the the skills that we have in, in developing on some of the, the new areas we're getting into. And that's been a, a pretty big focus of, of ours as we're just looking for deals over the last quarter of the year and into this year. So, you know, it's it's interesting, uh, and and we've done it a little bit before. We've got a project down in Florida that we're underway on. We've got 250 um, 
multifamily units set to open later this year on a, on a site that was previously 350,000 square feet of retail. And now it's about 125,000 square feet of retail. So just looking for interesting opportunities like that. Um, you know, there seems to be quite a bit out there just finding the right markets and the right, the right opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good stuff. I mean, uh, as, as Dave noted, you know, we were, uh, we're running about a couple minutes over 30 minutes and we didn't want to keep this too long. I know we're, we're leaving a, a lot of issues, a lot of topics on the table here. Um, and, and we'd love to follow up with some of you guys individually, uh, maybe on some separate calls to, to go over some of the other issues that uh, are right in front of us as we begin this year. But I think, uh, I mean, I think as, as the conversation noted, I mean, I think there's, there's going to be opportunity out there this year. Um, and, uh, you know, you may have to be patient for it. You may have to get creative for it. But uh, uh, I think everybody uh, on this call and, and the people we do business with are encouraged uh, for the year ahead. And, and I know that we certainly are at the Palomar Group. Um, so uh, good stuff, guys. It was highly informative. Um, I appreciate you guys joining. Uh, I'd like to thank all of you guys uh, and thank those who are listening to this recording online. Uh, we want to wish everybody our very best in continuing to come combat the effects of the pandemic, both physically and economically. Um, we want to let everyone know that our team at the Palomar Group is committed to helping in any way that we can as we continue to move forward and come out of this crisis. Uh, and please remember that you can contact any member of our team at thepalomargroup.com. And once again, guys, thank you all for, for joining us. We'll look forward to catching up again soon. Thank you, guys. Thanks for your time. See you all. Thanks, guys.